So we're going to jump into our next speaker. Before we do that, let's uh, pray really quick, and then uh, we'll get our next speaker up here. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for another day you've given us uh, in the land of the living Lord. You have seen fit to give us breath in our bodies, and for that we praise and thank you and glorify you, Father. You didn't have to wake us up, but you chose to, so we thank you, Lord. Uh, Father God, we thank you that we are here learning about you, missions, your gospel, Father, about how to be obedient in a Christ-centered fashion, Lord. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this opportunity. May we continue to be engaged, Lord God. Um, I know it's the end of the week. We are, you know, we've had long weeks, Lord, tired. I pray that you continue to give us energy and uh, uh, sustain us, Lord, so that we can be fully engaged in every conversation, every topic, Lord, every uh, session. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our next speaker is David Diasso, and he will be speaking to us on working with missionaries. And a little bit about David. He was born in Germany and grew up most of his life until his early 20s in Fresno, California. Uh, David and his wife, Don, have been married for over for 30 years and have three grown children. Uh, David Jr., Jonathan and Hannah. Uh, Hannah moved to heaven on October 18th, 2016. Uh, Dave and Don have served in missions for more than 30 years with MTW in Mexico City. Don and Dave were involved in evangelism and discipleship, uh, planting new churches, and also worked with a number of short-term teams and interns, and they're still passionate in those things. So talk to them about those, uh, those topics. He and his wife currently live and minister on the U.S.-Mexico border. Their focus is on partnering with others to see a renewed city and a revived border based on Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. Dave received his Master of Divinity from the International School of Theology in 1988 and his Doctor of Missiology from New Geneva Theological Seminary in 2006. He is ordained in the Presbyterian Church in America, the PCA, and belongs to the Rocky Mountain Presbytery. With that, Dr. David Diasso, feel free to come on up, brother. Let's give him a round of applause. It's great to be here. I just met um, Mark this morning for the first time. It's a little bit of a flashback meeting him because when I started uh, in missions, I was his age, and I was I'm from California, so I was raising funds here in churches similar to this church, and uh, so a little bit of a flashback, and then also. Um, you know, as I was talking to him and found out the team leader is Dan Iverson, and I studied in seminary under Bill Iverson, Dan's dad, uh, and I was just with Dan. I was in, or just with Bill last Friday. I was in the Philadelphia area, and uh, Bill lives in New Jersey, which isn't too far away. He's 91 years old, and uh, so it was wonderful to meet him, and Bill's probably the boldest and best personal evangelism that I've ever met in my life. And I know that Dan is similar. <laughs> so anyway, it was great to meet Mark this morning, and I'm glad to be here. And I know David also is here raising funds. So we have uh, a good group of missionaries here today. I wanted to share 
a little bit about my story. Here's my task to talk about how to work with missionaries. And Mike Pettengeld told me to do it not just, you know, my own experience, but um, more general. So I'm going to try to apply it more broadly. Some of the things that I have experienced in my journey and things that I feel can help us um, in missions. And I wanted to start out talking about prayer and the importance of prayer. I mean, I guess it's that elephant in the room and the thing that we talk about more than we probably do. But I don't want to guilt you in. Uh, I agree with what Mark said, you know, guilt lasts for a day or so, but then things wear out. And that happens a lot when we talk about prayers. People feel bad because they don't pray more. Just recently, I was um, at a church, and the, the sermon was on Ephesians six ten through 20, which talks about the armor of God, and the very end talks about prayer. And the pastor emphasized quite a bit how hard work prayer is, which is true, but I feel that isn't very motivational to just think about how hard the work is of prayer. And I've tried to grow in my own life as a missionary um, in prayer, and it's not, it hasn't been always easy. And I, I, I feel at times that I've been somewhat pharisaical in that I struggle to love God more and not necessarily practicing you know, what I preach all the time. And so there's that, there, there's that struggle. And I definitely don't want to put on you a burden that I'm not myself following. So I want to be a little bit transparent and say that I'm on this journey with you as I share about prayer. But I I think what's more motivational and what's helped me in my own prayer life is the love relationship. Because if you love somebody, you know, you want to be with them. And if you know how much they love you, you know, then you want to be with them. You want to get to know them better. And I just think of, you know, in our own, for those of you that are married, especially when you're young and you're just getting to know your spouse, I mean, you just want to be with them all the time. And and nobody has to twist your arm or motivate you or, or with your children, you know. Nobody has to twist your arm or motivate you. And sometimes we lose that a little bit with God because it becomes maybe more theoretical, more theological, more, you know, as our tribe reformed, we tend to be very intellectual, teach, teaching-oriented, and not as much heart-oriented. But it's all about the relationship. And, you know, when we t- even evangelism, when we think about evangelism, it's, I mean, yes, there's the gospel, and we have to preach the gospel, but it still is about a relationship. And so in, I just want to encourage you to, to grow in that love with the Father, that He loves you, He's the lover of your soul, and it's, it's very rich as you spend time with Him, getting to know Him, and that's part that's a lot of what God's been calling me to do in these last few years of my ministry, which I pray I still have many more years to go. Um, 
But I wanted to share a little bit about, too, thinking back to when I was in, still in my 20s, a young Christian, in some ways that God influenced me, and I, I, I believe he still works this way today. When I was a young Christian, there was a group of guys that I used to meet with on Friday nights, you know, when everybody else was out partying. I, I guess we were a little weird in some ways, but... We'd get together. I don't remember if it was every Friday, but we did it frequently. And we would um, come together and we would pray. This guy that was discipling me named John, and there were a couple other people with me. And we would pray a lot for missions. And we pray at that time, you know, this was before the wall came down. And in Eastern Europe, there was a lot of books out about the persecuted church. I don't know if any of you ever remember the name Richard Wormbrand, but he wrote Tortured for Christ and where Christ is still tortured. And I just remember that having a huge impact on me, reading about that commitment. I thought, wow, I mean, it's just amazing that somebody would have such a commitment. And so we were praying for the church. And for, and and initially I thought, when I began to think about missions, I thought that that would be where the Lord would send me. Um, and I ended up going to Mexico um, where Christ is still tortured too, I think, but in a different way. Um, so in some ways, that was the seed that was planted in me to help me to get involved in missions. And so uh, of the three main guys of us that were doing that, two of us ended up going into missions. And the one guy that stayed, John, that was kind of encouraging us, he became has become one of my biggest supporters you know, over the years. And um, so I think that it's like obvious maybe that prayer is important, but it's something that we struggle to do. And if we're serious about caring for missionaries, but also um, sending, prayer is the secret sauce, you know. And so I just want to emphasize and spend a little bit of time on that and even some things that have influenced me even recently in my prayer life because I think that testimony is um, fuel that goes on the fire it, it it's because we have a living faith we serve a living God so he's we look at what he's done in the past we need to remember you know what God has done to help strengthen our faith today but also it helps to look and see God is still doing great and marvelous things. So recently, I was able to go to Cuba about five or six years ago, and Cuba just snuck up on me and surprised me because the people there suffer a lot for the gospel because of all the oppression. We don't get a lot of news about Cuba in the U.S. because of you know, we don't have much of a relationship as a country with them, and so there's not a lot of news, not a lot of focus on Cuba. And I didn't really know too much about it. But one thing that is that you may or may not know, Cuba is the only country in the Western Hemisphere where there's a um, church planning movement, where the church is just multiplying and growing and a lot of that is because, well, there has to do with the history, but also because of the house church movement and the oppression that they've experienced that has kind of been fuel for them. 
So when I went to Cuba and I started hearing the stories of the Christians there and their commitment to pray, their commitment to share the gospel at tremendous cost, it, it kind of challenged my faith. You know, here I am. I had, I had already been a missionary 25 years, and being with them just was, it strengthened me in a lot of ways, but it also challenged my faith. And they were talking about fasting, which I don't um, hear that much in our circles, people talking about fasting and their commitment to fasting. And, um, and they just really cling to the Lord. And, and that's one of the things that has strengthened me recently in my faith and been an influence. The other thing is um, I've been reading some recently about revival in the Hebrides. Has, has anybody ever heard of that? They're islands. Got it. Uh, and I didn't know anything about revival in the Hebrides, but I thought it was interesting, and I wanted to learn more about revival and what God is doing. And that was mostly among Reformed people, Presbyterian people in that land. And I just read a book called Revival in the Hebrides. And the, the guy that wrote it's a pastor. His name's Duncan Campbell. And he was talking about how they had a service, some of the things the Lord was doing. They had a service on, um, in the evening that went from 9 to 11. And at the end of the service, he just felt like there was one of the guys in the congregation that really had a heart to pray, and he could see the Lord working in his life. So he asked him to pray. He felt like, uh, in, in a sense, the Spirit was on him more strongly than on the pastor himself. So he began to pray, this young man. And after he prayed, there, it, like, there was a shaking. It was kind of like you know we read about in Acts. And so they leave the church, I mean, after this prayer, and the prayer went on for a while, and the guy was just very insistent and in praying for souls and different things. And they leave the church after 11, and, and there's people out in the fields. They have their chairs. They're, they're coming with chairs, and they're wondering if there's place for them in the church. And uh, people that were in the dance hall, they felt under conviction, and they ended up leaving, and then they come to church. So there were about 200 people in that meeting at first, and it ended up that there were 800 people that came into the church, and they're praying till 2, 3, 4 in the morning. Now, again, I, I, I don't do that. I, I don't want to stand up here and act like I'm praying that way. But I love that example, and I, and I love to see how God has worked and I believe can, wants to continue working. And I think that I guess there's no way to get around the fact that if we want to care for missionaries and also send, that prayer is essential. So that is one of the things I just wanted to um, begin with. And I just um, thought I'd list a few areas where we can be praying for. When we think about praying for missionaries, you know, there are certain areas that we could be praying for. And you could probably find, you know, a lot of different resources to give you some ideas on things to be praying for. Some 
you know, basic things like health and relationship among missionaries and those type of things. You know, one of the things that I learned when I first, or I heard a lot when I first went on the mission field is how one of the top reasons missionaries leave the field is because of conflict among them. And, uh, and that's still like one of the top one or two reasons missionaries leave the field. So I thought that'll never happen to me, you know. And, but sure enough, you know, I get on the field and um, I start having conflict with another missionary. And I have to admit, I'm going to be a little vulnerable, <laughs> that it wasn't all the other guy's fault. I mean, I was in, insecure and immature. I was not raised in a Christian home. So in a sense, I was maturing as I was on, even on the mission field and learning how. I don't think I really knew how to work through forgiveness and conflict and these type of things. It's very important. And I, I think, too, in the church today, so many um, young people are growing up in broken homes. So many young people are growing up in homes where they don't have a father. So many young people, you know, aren't raised in Christian homes. And so in when we have young missionaries coming through, now it isn't true of all missionaries, but I'm just saying a lot of them haven't learned how to be a good father, you know, a good Christian father, haven't learned a lot of these important things. And, and that's one way the church can aid, come alongside, and assist. You know, we need spiritual fathers and mothers. And, you know, referring to Bill Iverson, as I mentioned earlier, he was a, a father. He still is, and I mean, I don't have as much contact with him as I once did, but he still is. I mean, I went to the International School of Theology, which isn't a Reformed seminary. It was uh, affiliated with Campus Crusade Crew today, they call it. But Bill, um, I, I learned about the Reformed faith through Bill, and I was attracted to his lifestyle because of he was, he was an active intellect. He, he was an evangelist, a bold evangelist, but he read broadly, and not just Christian works. I mean, he liked to talk, he, even the la- last week when I was with him, he liked to talk about Francis Bacon, you know, and some of the quotes from Francis Bacon and some of these philosophers. So, anyway, there, there's such a great need today to help young people grow up and even on the mission field you know that's something we do need to be keeping in um in mind as we're working with missionaries the 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 importance of encouragement and care um whoops i keep i always do that i I look one way and then um so i have a few notes i'm not going to exactly go on everything I have there, but I wanted to share again a little bit about my own experience. Um, My wife and I served, the first 10 years, um, we served in Mexico City, which is one of the largest cities in the world. We we like to, you know, compare to Tokyo. We we argue about who's the largest. Maybe Tokyo's larger now. But when we first went there, it was in 1990, so maybe Mexico City was larger than but anyway, it was one of the largest cities in the world, and we served there for 10 years. 
And um, so some of the challenges, I guess, that we went through is one, you know, we go there with great expectations and we think we're going to have all this immediate fruit. And that's not what happened. You know, it was it was slow. Um, like I said, I had some conflict and it wasn't just like a short term conflict. It was something that lasted for a while. I remember my boss even had to tell me, you need <laughs> you need to, you know, get through this. You need to figure it out and and get through it. So so that was hard. And then we didn't we went there to plant churches and see, you know, this great movement started and that and and we just didn't see the fruit that we were hoping for. I know there was fruit, but it wasn't as tangible as we would have liked it to be. And when you give your life to something, when you leave your family and you ha- you have to raise the funds like Mark's doing now, um, you know, you 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 want that to be for a reason. You you want to see some tangible evidence that what you're doing is was worth the cost, you know, and, and at times we kind of wondered about that and we doubted. Our second term, um, we were when we were in Mexico City, I ended up being kidnapped. Mexico City started getting more dangerous because of just the drug cartels coming in and things like this. So this was in the late 1990s. I was kidnapped in a taxi. It was called a, a express kidnapping. So I was um, taken in a taxi for my ATM cards and held, not for days at least, but it still wasn't an enjoyable experience. And then a year and a half after that, I was held up at gunpoint and had my car stolen, and they took me with them again. And I was a little bit afraid because I stopped taking ATM cards with me, and I thought they were going to hurt me. The guy did hit me in the head, but I gave my wallet, and he ended up letting me go. Um, And they say that when somebody takes you in a car, that only twenty, there's only a 25% chance that you'll live through that. So, I mean, the Lord was definitely protecting me. Um, and, of course, you know, that is an answer to prayer as well and referencing back to prayer. But I just wanted to bring that up partly because, of course, not all missionaries. I'm one of the few missionaries with, with Mission World that's been kidnapped. I know that Mike in the back there was had a gun to his head or something like that in Honduras. It seems like Latin America, unfortunately, we have more issues. But um, when that happened to me, I didn't really know how to deal with the stress and, you know, how to work through it. And I'm more introverted. So, and back then, I think I was even more introverted than I am now because we're talking close to 20 years ago. And so I didn't, I I just withdrew. I just kind of went into myself. Now, my wife is the complete opposite. It's too bad she can't be here today because she's very extroverted. So she wants to talk to everybody and she wants to be able to um, verbally process, you know, what, because it affects her, even though I'm the one that, you know, had the experiences, it brings a lot of fear on your wife. And so we didn't deal with it very well. And I remember Mission of the World calling us up. You know, we have a missionary care. And they called us up and they said, oh, how are you doing? And we kind of underplayed it. We, we blew it off and we said um, we're doing fine um, and all that. So anyway, 
without drawing it out too long, I, after the second time that I got held up at gunpoint, my wife told me that night when we came home, she said, do you still feel called to Mexico? You know, we're going to bed that night. Do you still feel called to Mexico? And I said that I did, but it ended up that a few months later, probably about six months later, we um, came back to the field or off the field, which was very hard. I think in some ways it was harder for me to leave Mexico than it was to go. I don't know if you can understand that, but, you know, you just grow to love the people and love what you're doing and you give your life to that, and then it's taken away. It was very painful. I mean, it still is. I'm getting emotional. I didn't expect that. But it was um, hard to leave. But also, because of maybe some of these other things that were going on, um, it there were some family of origin things that we started needing to deal with. And so we came back. We tried to figure out, okay, where were we going to go? Because we thought we'd return to Mexico City. We left all our furniture there. And um, we ended up deciding to go to Colorado Springs because we have a supporting church there. So I'm going to try to tie this into, you know, the church and how the church came alongside us and helped us during this time. Because I still remember, because, you know, these vivid, these vivid times... They stick in your mind. So I still remember calling the pastor, Don Roberts, who was in charge of missions. He's still one of the pastors at Village 7. And I, it was one of those churches that supported us, and it's a larger church, over 1,000 people. But I didn't have a real close relationship with them because I was in, I'm from California. But the churches in California that I was associated with were smaller, and I didn't feel like they could meet the needs that we had. And, you know, I just felt, too, the Lord um, was leading in that. So I called them up, called Don up, and I told them what was going on. I said, we're needing to leave the field. We're going to Colorado Springs, and we don't have any furniture or anything, so we just need help, you know. And we kind of told them, you know, we're going to need to get some counseling. We need some healing. So we come back to the States, and the church just, you know, really um, embraced us and helped us. And they put in the bulletin the very first weekend, missionary family needs furniture and whatever. And, you know, by God's grace, people rallied around us. And one family was moving from to California, from Colorado. There were things they didn't want to take, some furniture they didn't want to take. There were other people that had things. And so we were able to furnish a home for two years, because it took us two years to decide whether we would stay in Mexico or not, um, we you know we were able to furnish our home that way, and the church helped us a lot during that time period, and that's very um, important. And I guess I just want to add. I mean, these are like confessions, maybe in a sense, people things that missionaries don't often share because we're always trying to put on the positive front (laughs) and raise money and say, this is why you should support us. But I want to be a little vulnerable. So it it was a hard period because of, because of that very thing, because I was still on support. I've all for 30 years, we've been on, you know, financial support. We've had to raise funds 
And so it was a little bit hard during that time period because it's like, okay, what do I tell people? Do I, you know, tell them we're just getting counseling right now type thing, you know? I mean, I was doing, I was still involved in ministry, but um, I just want to share that because sometimes there's periods where maybe missionaries aren't producing, so to speak. You know, we're not doing what we're, we feel like we're called to do, and it's hard. It's, it was very hard on my ego on my identity, but those years were important during that time, so we ended up being in Colorado for 12 years. My wife, um, when we first thought about going to Colorado, my wife said to me, we don't know anybody there, and it's cold, (laughs) and I said, well, um, we'll only be there six months to a year, so, and we end up being there 12 years. and we, we actually left Mission of the World for a few years, and I worked on my doctorate. I, we, stay, we just switched to another missions organization. But I felt like through counsel, the Lord gave us some good mentors and coaches that it wasn't good for me to drag my family back on the field. We weren't, you know, we weren't in a good place for that, and Mexico wasn't real safe anyway. And so... Uh, I worked for a few different ministries during that time, and I worked on my doctorate, which was actually very helpful. Um, One of the things I found in my doctorate was, wow, I wish I would have known this when I went on the field, (laughs) and kind of feeling like, um, yeah, I mean... I didn't, I, like I said earlier, you know, I didn't have the fruit that I would have liked to have had when I first went out. But, I, but as I look back on it now, even though that was a really painful time period for us, that I see that God was um, working, there were things that we needed to work through as a, a couple, a married couple. There were I I wonder at times if we would have stayed on the field, if we would have shipwrecked. Because I've seen so many, uh, that's the other thing that, you know, we don't talk about too much. But where churches are really important, too, is um, there's some, since I've been a missionary for 30 years, I've just seen so many that come off the field, and it's, it's, a lot of times because of fam- family problem. I mean, it, it can be because of problems with um, other missionaries, but a lot of times it's family issues, you know, d- divorce. I mean, I know of, well, I don't know, I probably shouldn't get into all that stuff. But anyway, just a lot of um, dysfunction. People come from dysfunctional families, and they bring that on the field. It's like the whole person comes to work, you know. And so, and and maybe to that, don't we have to be careful about not putting ministers or missionaries on a pedestal? Because basically, we're just like other people in the congregation, and we have the same needs and the same um, struggles that you do. And maybe you know, maybe when we go onto the field, we're doing well. But some of the differences that we face is. Um, you don't have the support. I mean, I'm talking about emotional support or like when you first go onto the field, for most of us, you're learning how to speak and you're, you feel like you're in third grade or something. You know, you can hardly communicate with the people. 
That's that's hard on your ego. I remember they told me, when you learn the language, you have to be like a rubber ball. You have to learn how to bounce back. <laughs> still to this day, now that I've been on so long and I still make mistakes with my Spanish, some of my friends like to um, joke and say, oh, you've been here all this time and you still screw up. So anyway, <laughs> but those are some of the things um, when you're first going on the field and you're learning language, it's, you know, it's a, it's a tough thing and it takes time, you know, that first, um, first few years on the field to learn and to grow. And so, you, and like I said, you don't have the same support system that you have when you're here in the States. And so maybe your life is, um, you know, moving along and you could, you would have been able to handle it here, but in another context, sometimes it, it's harder. And because of that, some unhealthy things can happen. And so I think for churches, maybe to understand those things and be grace oriented, be coming alongside and recognizing that just because a missionary goes through a bad period doesn't mean they're washed up and ruined forever and that the Lord can still work through them. And and perseverance is so important. It's something we don't talk about very much either. Um, but I see that because of my wife and I having persevered all these years through the things we've done and are doing, that God is, is we're seeing a lot more fruit now. I'll be able to talk about that later now. Um, on the field than we did in the past because of we stuck with it and we stayed with it. Now, part of that is having a sense of call and all that, and the church can also help out with that, help out with um, noticing that in people because it is important, you know, to really know that God is calling you to do this work. No matter what you're doing, I think that's important, but it's so easy when you get on the field, to not stay. <laughs> we did have one missionary, one disadvantage about being in Mexico. This is, I don't know, kind of humorous in retrospect, sad in one sense too. But we had a missionary in Mexico City, and he was not, he was having problems with the team leader. They were having all kinds of conflict. I think he, things weren't going well in his marriage. So one day he got in his car and he just took off and he drove to the border. He left his wife and everything. He just drove to the border, you know, and I mean, it's sad, but we used to joke about it when we're having a bad day, you know, that we might, you know, just take off that way. Um, but these type of things happen, you know, and and the church is key in being loving, coming alongside, understanding, you know, like Mark mentioned, continuing to support even when things aren't going well with you, but also with them. That's really important because it's hard enough as missionaries, we don't make a, a fortune. And so then if churches or people are dropping us, you know, because we're going, th we're not producing, so to speak, that makes it, that puts more pressure on you. It doesn't, you know, help. And we have 
had some very good experiences. You know, we've had churches um, pick us up and drop us and all that stuff over all our period, but we have had some good experiences, and we've had people come alongside us and love us. Um, One thing that I wanted to mention as well regarding just the whole piece about encouragement and coming alongside, um, Anthony mentioned this in my intro, that three years ago our daughter um, moved to heaven. We like to say moved to heaven. She had a pulmonary embolism. And she was 22 years old. And um, she, for almost three years before that, she started having mental health issues, which is like, as a parent, going through hell on earth. Uh, She was in the hospital five times during that time period. And, um, And then she, you know, ends up moving to heaven which we're still dealing with. I mean, it's something that doesn't go away. My wife still struggles to sleep at night. And I remember when Hannah did um, pass away, for the first few weeks, I, I didn't feel like I could pray. I was struggling. I didn't feel distant from God, but I did. I was struggling a little bit with, like, God, you didn't answer my prayers. And so I was struggling some with that, but I felt still a close connection with God. I never like doubted him during that time. Fortunately, I mean, I know some people really can go off the rails, which was, which is another um, sign of just God's grace. But one way that the church and churches came alongside us is they were praying for us. And I think that's part of the reason why I felt encouraged during or I felt still close to the Lord and I I still meet people even three years later that tell me they've been praying for us every day uh, especially you know the year after or so people would tell us often they're praying for us frequently and that carried us through and you know people sending us notes and those type of things so I have that up here about you know notes are are really key um, I read something recently. Have any of you ever read The Secret of Happiness, the book by Sean Accor? It's really good. He's got a short talk, too, on YouTube. Maybe it's a TED talk. But um, I love that book. My son, David, introduced it to me. And he taught, one of the things he talks about in there is um, sending notes of encouragement to people. He says, have a goal to send one note of encouragement a day to people. And he says it does two things. One is it just encourages you as you're trying to encourage other people. Secondly, um, sometimes they respond. (laughs) They respond back, not always, but sometimes, and that also encourages you. So, and I love, that's part of my gifting. I love to encourage, and it's, so as I pray, I work with a lot of church planners. I'm a facilitator. So I'm not planning the church. I've done that before, but I'm helping other people plant churches in Cuba and in Mexico. And so as I'm praying in the morning and reading the Bible, I'm asking the Lord to guide me and just to highlight if there's something that I I could share with some of them. And nowadays, since we got electronic Bibles and all that stuff, you know, I'll, I'll find something and then I read. I usually do my devotionals in English most of the time. Every once in a while in Spanish, 
But then if I find something I like, then I just switch it over to Spanish and I highlight it, I copy it, and then I'll send it. And I've done that for now a few years, and especially my Cuban friends, but the Mexicans too. The Cubans, because they're limited to what they're able to uh, receive internet-wise and they need encouragement, God's doing great works, but they're oppressed so much. They have limited food, all this stuff. So they they just tell me how much it helps them. And a lot of them will end up sharing what I um, send them with their church. So and that that definitely does encourage me. It encourages me to know they're doing that, but also to keep continue doing it. So I just mentioned that because just little things. Anybody can send a note. Like I send my email. I do an email prayer letter. I try to do it once a month. I can't say I always to get it out every month, but I, I come close to that. And, you know, I'll get one or two people that respond back. Now, I'm not saying I necessarily want everybody to uh, respond, but um, but I'm just saying not too many people do respond. And it, But it always encourages me when they do. When they, you know, and usually it's a positive note. I don't usually get somebody saying something negative. So that is helpful to just to know people are reading your letters. You know, nowadays with MailChimp, which most of us use because it doesn't cost anything for us missionaries, we always go for something that works but isn't very expensive. We can see how many people are opening our letter, which is can be a little bit uh, disheartening. <laughs> but anyway, so so those are some. Uh, key things. I don't have too much time left. It always takes longer than you think to get through this. Um, you know, like I mentioned, coming off the field for HMA, helping with, I think in California, because of um, a lot of our reform churches aren't as big, maybe um, c- combining together, you know, coming together or like Mark knows of a place if people want to live in Pasadena that's a little cheaper but coming together because it is a challenge when you don't have a lot of funds and then you um, don't have any furniture you know where do you where do you live during that time you know it's it's hard for for the family Um, I already talked about perseverance and encouraging being positive oh I keep going the wrong way yeah so we'll talk more about, you know, visiting and these type of things in, in our later today as well. But that does encourage. I mean, I'm, I'm not very far away. It's a lot more expensive <laughs> to go to Japan, although Japan's a great place. I've been able to go to Japan there, and you can try some different kinds of food. Um, but I think that visits um, do, do a couple things they can is um, they can be encouraging. It, it, it encourages people to know somebody's interested in what they're doing. And one of the things that always fascinates me, even uh, here in Mexico, which is so close, I'll take people from San Diego to Mexico, and it's just all the oohs and ahs and wows because I, I, I'm so, it becomes so familiar to me that I think, um, I don't know, it's not all that, different or special but then I just see the experiences in it so I realize just being able to go and see one of the comments that we get all the time when people go to Tijuana I mean here you have San Diego referred to as the finest city in America whether you believe that or not it is a very beautiful city 
And then you go to Tijuana, and a lot of my friends think Tijuana is the ugliest city in Mexico. So you have, I guess I shouldn't talk that way about a place where I serve, but um, but you have these, you know, huge, this huge disparity. There, you know, in San Diego, they water and landscape, and then in Tijuana, it's water and dust. I mean, dust, a lot of dust and more dust and dirt and, you know, all that stuff. So, um, you know, obviously that's not the reason I'm serving there, but um, coming and visiting and seeing and taking an interest. And that I think that helps you to pray. I had a church from this area come recently. Uh, Mike and his team connected them with me. So I appreciate you guys. I don't remember which one of you connected me. But they came down and they visited the pastor, an assistant pastor, and an elder. And, um, you know, I usually tell churches when they come down, I say, you know, I, I would like you to at least be open to partnering with us in the future if you're going to come down, because it is some time commitment on my part. And, um, you know, they said they were open to doing that. So they came and they visited and they, they had a really good time. And we're get, and I was able to introduce him to our new church planner in that area. His name's Davies, and we were able to explain some of the challenges and some of the dreams and all that. And recently, they um, were raising funds for that, which we're still doing. But I had a matching fund, so which ended on December thirty first. I still have more funds to raise, but I mean, I had to, I had to, to get that matching fund. I had to get that money in by the end of uh, October. So they took up an offering, and it was a very generous offering. And it ended up being a probably about five times at least more than I thought they would give because a lot of times when churches give offerings, they're, they're a little lower. But I had two churches do that, two churches that you know, took up an offering, and they gave very generously a lot more than I thought they would give. So coming and visiting you know, can be a great help. Um, I guess I just have a couple more minutes. I wanted to mention other ways that you can help and relating to, because sometimes you have people in your church that are um, have expertise in certain areas. You know, nowadays the web is, you know, as missionaries, sometimes we like to be, we try to be the jack of all trades and do all everything, but we're not necessarily good at all. So we need people. There's a lot of people nowadays that know how to do, set up a website. Or Mike helped me um, get my blog set up a number of years ago. Mike Pettengill in the back, and and that's helped me a lot because now anytime a church um, wants some information about me, I could just direct them to that. Um, so there's way a lot of different ways apart from giving money that churches can help, but of course. You know, we do need funds as well. And I find over the years, one of the most important things is, you know, being able to network and connect because you run out of people. I mean, you none of us have, I mean, like Mark, I'm sure now he says he's at 61%. So you kind of get to a certain percentage sometimes and you're struggling a little bit to come up with new people. So it's so important to have champions, people that will kind of step in the gap and help you to meet other people. When I was in Philadelphia last week and I was with a church 
that was supporting me already, but a good friend of mine had a party, uh, uh, what do you call it, like a support party. And so he invited some friends over, and we had a wonderful time kind of doing like I am tonight, just sharing our story. And, um, and I had an opportunity to let people know about what we're doing and the need. I, I don't know whether any of them will end up supporting me or not, but, you know, just getting in front of people, making those connections. And so those are ways that churches can help. There's a lot of different ways that churches can help through encouragement, through giving, through visiting, you know, all these different things. So I think we're about out of time. One minute or what? <laughs> so I guess there may not be time for a question if we only got one minute to go. Let's see. Um, oh, I wanted to, this inviting a missionary to speak. I just think it's so important that people have hear testimonies. I will mention a pet peeve. Maybe I shouldn't mention this. But I noticed that a lot of missions conferences, the main speakers are not missionaries. And um, I know that part of that is because tr- the draw, trying to, get, trying to get people there. But I know for me, it, mo- it motivates me, even, even being a missionary, but before I was a missionary too, to hear what God's doing in other places around the world. That is very motivational and it encourages me a lot. So I just think if you want to, it, it encourages the missionary. Not all missionaries are, you know, great speakers. Um, but also it helps the church to hear the struggles as well as the victories. You know, what, what God is doing, the testimonies. So I will end with that. Thank you, brother. All right, guys. So we, in just a few minutes, are going to watch a video about the 1% campaign. Um, If you're in the PCA or even outside of the PCA, you may have heard it. This is one of Mission to the World's. uh, This is actually our primary, really, uh, vision and focus right now as an organization. So we're going to watch that and then discuss lunch. What could happen if every PCA church pledged 1% of their members to missions? How would the world change? How many unreached people groups would hear the gospel? How many new churches would be planted? 287,746 PCA members times 1% equals 2,877 new missionaries. God can do this. If God prompted every PCA church to pledge 1% of their members, we could send more than 2,800 workers across the globe. Pray for 1%. He works through the prayers of his people. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 14, 13. Pray that God would bring your church members forward to be part of the 1%. We are ready to help with questions and guide next steps. Email go at ntw.org. I'm Lloyd Kim, coordinator of Mission to the World. We're challenging the church to send, and we're calling people to go. 
Go and make disciples of all nations. The challenge to mobilize your sons and daughters, your brothers and sisters to go and serve Christ through any agency or organization. Certainly we would love to help, but this is not about us. We just want you to go. Are you one? So as you can see, it is a call for churches, specifically in the PCA, to send and to tithe 1% of their members to missions. But for those who are outside of the PCA, so any Reformed church, any evangelical Protestant church, whether you go through Mission to the World or whether you go through a different organization, because let's be honest, if MTW crashed and burned, God's kingdom would still spread and it wouldn't slow down at all. So it's not about going through MTW. We would love to help you. We would love to answer questions. We would love to send you to the field. But any organization, think and pray about going. And we'll talk more about that. Um, We're going to go into lunch in just a second. But I I wanted to first give one more round of applause for both Mark and for David today. You know, uh, they both had amazing things to say. And one thing from Mark's. Uh, message that he said that, that he talked about and, and this verse came to mind and it's Philippians 1 29 uh, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ but also the privilege of suffering for him and I know we as humanity we love gifts we love to receive good gifts and we know that our father in heaven has promised that he'll only give us good gifts. He'll never give us a stone when we ask for bread. He'll never give us anything that's going to be for our detriment, only what's best for us. And part of that is not, as Mark wonderfully pointed out, is not just supporting, but to suffer, to co-suffer. And this verse says that it's been granted to us. It's been given to us as a gift, not just to believe in Christ, but also to suffer, to come alongside of our missionaries and not just like, you know, what he said, they're, in the, they're the ones taking the punches and we're behind them saying, hey, you can take that punch. It's OK. You know, we got your back. It's to say, hey, we're going to take the punches with you and we're going to it is a privilege for us to suffer alongside of you in the spreading of the gospel. And then with uh, David's message, something that he, he he was he opened up to us. Right. And it is true. One thing that Mike says is, is that missionaries are great liars. What, 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 what does that mean? That means when they come back, they have to put on the happy face, right? They have to put on everything's great because, unfortunately, if they are honest and open about their struggles, some people may not want to support them. So they have to, in effect, lie to get support. But if the gospel is real, if the gospel is true, that means that we can be honest and real and true about our struggles, our sin, our dysfunction. And that's what our brother opened up about is that, hey, we need your prayers. We need your encouragement. Don't forget about us when we go to the field. Still come alongside us and visit and, and, and reach out to us because we still need you. And just because we're there doesn't mean we don't struggle with our own sin and insecurities and, and issues. So both of these messages uh, not only bless me, I hope that they blessed you as well. And, and it causes us to really thank God for the gift of suffering alongside our missionary brothers and sisters. 
and also to care about them because God has so richly cared for us in the gospel. So we're going to go with that into lunch. Um, as you see, we have Chick-fil-A, also recognized as God's chicken. Um, I believe this will be part of the marriage supper of the lamb one day. Um, so we have Chick-fil-A for you guys. And this is what's going to happen. We have our lunch breakout session. So what's going to happen is that uh, from 1130 to about 1240, we're going to meet in different parts of the sanctuary here. And so for, for the first session, the topic is how should church leadership promote missions? And that's going to be at the back table right over here, right uh, behind you guys. The second is going to be what is the relationship between missionaries and sending churches? And that is going to be right uh, down that hall, first door on your left, which will be open. And then the third session is going to be how can lay members be missional? Because we know it's not just about church leadership and missions committees, but how can every single member of the church be involved in missions, which we're called to, right? And that's going to be at the um, down the hall, straight back. So first session here in the back, second session, uh, first door on your left down the hall, and then the third session, right uh, down the hall, straight down the hall. And what's going to happen is that you'll have some facilitators, but the conversation and discussion will be mostly you guys. You will finally get a chance to really discuss and brainstorm and talk and, and, and pull nuggets from one another. Uh, so you'll grab a lunch, go to whatever session you want, and then you're going to uh, choose one reporter. So what's going to happen is that when we come back in here, we're going to reconvene 1245. The uh, reporter will give a three to five minute report summary of what you discussed and what kind of things were brought up and uh, maybe even some further questions that were brought up that, you know, you guys are still chewing and thinking on. So that's what we'll do. If you have any questions, you can ask uh, myself, David Choi, or Mike Pettengill in the back, waving his hand, and uh, we will be glad to answer. So it is 1233. Or sorry, 1123. Wow, I'm tired. Feel free to grab Chick-fil-A, use the restroom, get something to drink, and then 1130, head to one of the sessions.